Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. So, this is a, it was a wild week, so we're here. We've written a sermon. Something will happen. Hopefully, you'll gain something from it. We'll see. Um, I always encourage, I always look for myself in, in sermons or preaches or talks, something that encourages me, something that challenges me, and if in the, in the meantime I can find something that is of new knowledge or learn something, it's a learning, encouraging, and challenging, that's the hope, and if I do those three things, then it's good, if I don't, then you can say it was rubbish, so that's good. Um, is anybody good with cars? Hands up, maybe, anybody good? Break down, you think it's all right, don't worry, I've got it. My brother's quite good with cars, but he's being shy, so that's all right. It's a good job none of you are good with cars, because I'm really rubbish with cars. I, uh, re- well, I, I've gone through a lot of cars, actually. We won't talk about that, especially before a, a long drive, but I've been through a few cars, and uh, there was one particular car that I found on Facebook, because that seems to be where everything is. And I went to go, and I was like, all right, okay. And I was like, Aaron, my brother, what am I looking for, mate? What, 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 how am I going to know if it's a good car or not, right? Good question. He gave me some helpful advice, but then you forget it, don't you? So I got there, and the guy was telling me, oh, look, it's got doors and a boot. I'm like, oh, brilliant. I know what they are. There's an engine in it. Perfect, right? I'm thinking, great. And he's like, okay, I'll just leave you. I even took my mum. Don't know why. That wasn't helpful either, right? (laughs) So I was mum, but (laughs) I don't know why I did that. I don't know, maybe for comfort. Anyway, we got there, (laughs) and I was like, right. We took a test drive in it, and I was like, right, well, it doesn't sound like it's falling apart, and it's moving. So that's a good start. Then this bloke left, went in his house, and obligatory, you're supposed to look under the, I think, you're supposed to check the engine, I think, just to see if all the bits are there. So I opened the the lid of the the bonnet. See, you can tell already, can't you? Good grief. Exposed. Um, I lifted the lid. Looked at this thing called an engine and was like, I don't know what's going on there. It looks clean and uh, like it should be there. And then there's little bits where it's got little diagrams and you're like, oh, those sprinkly bits. There for the sprinkly bits on your car, right? There's one that looks like an oil can. I assume that's where you put the oil. So you think, oh, there's some bits that I understand. And then there's this massive other bits with wires coming out and tubes coming out. I have no clue what's going on there. Why am I telling you this? Because we're in Hebrews, right? Okay? And Hebrews is somewhat of a peculiar text because it's managed to end up in the Bible as we have it today, but in no other way like any other books have got there. And sometimes you pop the lid on the Bible and you you find yourself in Hebrews and you think, what is actually going on here? This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I can see this thing. It looks like I know what that should. They're talking about Jesus. That's a good start, right? And they're talking about sacrifice. He did that. But then this weird thing about goats and blood and such, I'm not sure what that's going on there. And sometimes we can open parts of the Bible, specifically Hebrews, this day, and you think, this is, I don't know. I've not got the manual. I don't know what I'm doing here. And it can be like that. And I think it's okay for us to feel like that. So as we open this, we're going to look at Hebrews 10, try and figure something out of what's going on and maybe hopefully gain some goodness from it. But it's also okay if we've been reading it, if you've been reading it and you suddenly think, some of these parts seem a bit peculiar. I'm with you in that, okay? So initially, Dave gave us a little uh, a little snippet last week that we're not really sure who wrote it. That's always helpful. A lot of people said it must be Paul. 
because he writes everything, so that's a good start. There's a few things that think, oh, yeah, that's a very poor line, isn't it? Oh, it's a very poor line. But we don't actually know. Um, there's possibly, I think, according to scholarship, there's been about 17 names that have been thrown about. So we can pick them. That's exciting, isn't it? So Dave thinks it could be a woman. I happen to think that's a nice thing to suggest. A lady called Priscilla. All right, let's go with her. Google her later if you want. I think they wrote it. But there is ambiguity. So I'm just going to refer to the person who wrote it as the author. Um, what's weird about Hebrews is normally whoever writes the book is, tends to be how they qualify it to go into the Bible at one point when they were thinking it. Because sometimes, well, that was Paul. Well, wait, he's talking about something abnormal, so it's not. This one is peculiar because we're not quite sure. But what's important, the reason I tell you this, there is a reason. It's not just to, like, blow your minds. It's to say that the content of the book was so good on its own they almost thought it doesn't really matter. We can't leave this out. What the truth that's in this book, we can't leave out, right? So that's important. So it's important. So it doesn't matter. It could have been Priscilla. It could have been Paul. It could have been anyone. Someone called Apollo, maybe. I don't know. What matters is, what is it telling us about Christ, right? And how do we apply that in our lives today, okay? We know that the person was probably, um, uh, there was probably speaking to a Christian Jewish community. So probably recent converts, probably facing persecution. So it's helpful to know that when we're looking at this text because it talks about perseverance, and that's hard to navigate when we sometimes find ourselves quite comfortable. These people were, like, struggling with adapting to an entirely new framework in the midst of possible death, and that's tense, okay? So that's also good to know. Now, flinging through that context, again, like the engine, you're a bit like, okay, some of that made sense, but Joel, move on to the, the juicy bits, right? Okay, so here we go, right? The, the book itself is generally written like a sermon. So we call it an epistle. It's, it's shaped a bit like a letter, and it was probably written to a person, so that's a letter. But the way that it's structured is a bit like a sermon. So it, it, fo it moves in a way to lead you to something, and it's like it builds up an image the whole way through. So the first 10 chapters, which is where we kind of climax where we are today, are a whole series of imagery to try and get to this point that the, the author's trying to make. It's a comparison between the old things, the former things of this community, likely the Jewish traditions, right? Um, those former things and the new thing that Christ brought in, okay? So the first two chapters, you have the angels and the Torah, right? Look how amazing these things were. Look how more amazing Christ is, right? That's the idea. Three and four, it's Moses and the promised land. Look how amazing. It's not saying these things are garbage. It's saying these were good things. But how much better is this thing that we have now? Five and seven, priests and Melchizedek. We've done a bit of that, right? Good old Melchizedek, right? So we've done that. They're good. Jesus is superior. And we get to this section in eight to ten where we're at. And there's a lot of gubbins about sacrifice. And I think that's the hardest bit sometimes for us to understand because that's so far removed. Has anyone ever brought a goat to church, you know, sacrificed it on an altar, set fire to it, sprinkled the blood around? To it's a bit, it's like an engine, not sure what's going on there. So we're like, that's good, right? Jesus is better. So this whole thing is, and we, we meet chapter 10 right at the end of this comparison between sacrifice and um, and, and Christly sacrifice and the difference, right? So it's the culmination of the point. He's just gone on this absolute mission to prove how much more important Christ is than these other things. And we're meeting him right at the end, okay? 
So we'll read it. That's a good point. Let's do some actual reading. If you have a physical Bible, well done. Congratulations. I'm proud of you. If you have to use a phone, we'll let you, okay? So crack open Hebrews 10, because that's where we are. I've split it into kind of, there's, there's kind of three sections and only really got time to do the first two. The last one's wild and needs another sermon. So get Lucas on that, all right? That's not for me, right? So the first two sections kind of do two different things. And within those two sections, there'll be three kind of points I try to bring out. So if you're a note taker too, that's the, that's the framework we're working with, all right? So chapter 10, we see the old system. This is going to be a challenge with this mic. I need a stand. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. The good things, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices that were under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshippers would have been purified once for all. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of those sins year after year. For it was not possible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sin. And then there's a bit of a quote here. We're going to fling through, so we're not reading all of it. First, Christ said, "You You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Nor were you pleased with them. Then he said, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one into effect. Can you see this sort of thing we've been following for the last like 10 chapters? Old is, is gone, new is here, right? Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sin. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for the sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits for of it, uh, there he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. That's the first section I've identified, and we're going to sort of spend some time in there before we get to it. So I've kind of put this section as kind of, you know, the goodness, the conclusion of all this stuff. Why, where are we climaxing here? What's the big point, okay? It's impossible for the blood of goats to take away sin. So another reminder again, these things were fine for a, for a time, but now we've been these things have been fulfilled once and for all. These things don't need to continue. You need to continue in your old ways, okay? And verse 10 says, again, reiterates it. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once and for all. He wants the audience, and in its way, us, to realize the limitedness of the previous covenant. He has to keep doing it. It has to be. It's arduous. It's a struggle. It's a slog. It doesn't really do what it was meant to do in the way that Christ does what it's supposed to do. Um, The high priest had to do it, and it would atone for the sins of a few. If you brought the thing or you came at the right time, your sins would be forgiven, but there's a whole host of people that were outside the temple. They couldn't access that. You couldn't access the person actually forgiving those sins. There was all types of like barriers and stuff in the way, and he was like, well, this isn't it. 
here we have Christ, the new way, who's destroyed all the limitations of grace and mercy. And this exaltation of, of, of Jesus continues, where we have verse 12 and 14, offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And remember I said before, it's like a sermon. That's a cheat code for the person stood up here, because what more can I possibly add to that little sentiment there at the offered for all time, one sacrifice for sins, all of them, one time, making us all perfect. <sighs> amen. That's what I'll add. Yes and amen, right? So we've, we hear this, we hear this exaltation. Look how good this news is. Well, what are we supposed to do with it, right? And that's where we have the next section where we have some form of instruction of what we're supposed to do, okay? So... The main chunk of the teaching, we'll do a bit more of a zero in. Um, what's the point of him telling all this thing? So we're going to read 19 to 25. A lot of reading, kids. Look, here we go. We're having fun. Okay, 19 to 25. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus by his death. Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain in the most holy place. And since we have this great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Okay, and there's three little things that, that the author's telling us here. The blood of Christ is the doorway which gains us access to the holy place. Okay, that was something in the past that was out of bounds. We couldn't do it. Some people died. It was kind of that intense, right? The presence of God. But because of the blood of Christ, not the blood of goats, we're all enabled access into the holy place. By the blood of Christ, it's Christ who does that, okay? It's nothing we can do. The body of Christ, in verse 20, is the access we can enter beyond the Holy of Holies into the presence of God himself because our skin, our flesh, sorry, has been sanctified. So not only are we made holy and we can enter into the temple, but through the bodily sacrifice of Christ, verse 22 tells us that we have been sanctified so that we can be with the presence of God. Not some watered down version of God, the fullness of God. Again, that is a big statement. If you're coming from the traditions, if you're reading this and you've been thinking, that's out of bounds for me, I can never get there. You know, I'm never worthy of that. You've got Jesus who is not only making it possible that you can get close, he's breaking that, he becomes the curtain that lets you in by his body. Point three, okay. In verse 21, I've not written it down. What a fool. Let's find verse 21. Let me open my Bible. Verse 21, since we have a great high priest who rules over the house of God, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts. And so it's not even that God Christ is now the way by which these things happen, but he's ruling over the whole process, and he is the authority. And because we know we can be confident in that, we can go fully assured because we've been cleansed of our guilty conscience, purified by the waters of baptism. We have literally no reason to doubt this truth. And sometimes we find ourselves 
unworthy. We think that. We were, sick. we were doing a bit of that before in the worship. Like, where are you with God today? Like, I don't know. I don't know where you are. But sometimes we can feel ashamed and unworthy and like, you know, I can't pray now. I can't enter into God's presence because I'm, I'm nothing, right? And there's times in my life, um, bring some story into real life. Ooh, get back into the room. There was a time in my life where I would go to youth events and they always said good things. And you think, oh, that's good, yeah, brilliant. And they'd sing nice songs and you'd listen and you think, oh, good for you, pal. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, oh, you can sing these things and I'm glad you can. But I'd read them, especially things where it's like, Take all of me, Lord. I'm like, ooh, I don't think I want you to take all of me right now, to be honest. I don't even want all of me. Do you know what I mean? And like, um, you know, search my heart. Oof, that's a big one as well. I'd sit there and think, that is not something. I feel too ashamed to even utter the words because I don't feel like I am ready. I don't feel I'm holy. I don't feel I'm sanctified. I feel a mess, right? Nothing in this text talks about something we have to do in order to be made this way. Those three things, right, that he talked about, we've not done anything in regards to that. We've put our faith in Christ, that's fine, but he's doing everything. He's enabling us into the holy place, giving us access, and it's nothing to do with how you feel today. We can be confident and assured that we are accepted into that place, right? And actually, I wish I knew then what I know now, because I, if I'd have just done it, if I'd have just entered in, I could have saved myself a world of hurt, right? So if you're there thinking, brilliant, Joel, you're talking a lot and yeah, I'm hearing things and that's good for you. But actually, if it's not good for you, you should be assured and confident. Actually, it is for you, wherever you are. God isn't worried about the things that you bring to him. He just wants you, right? And he made a way. He gave himself for you to enter in. What a day. Right, okay. So this reevaluation that we've been made, we've got the old covenant didn't do it, the new covenant has. We've, been, we've made a way that we can be confident and assured in, right? Because of what Jesus did for us, not because of what we did for him, right? Praise the Lord, that's good. So our response to this, what should this be? And this is where we think, right, we've heard all this good news, that's brilliant. He's told us all this good news, that's brilliant. I'm sure, great, that's for me. But how do we respond to it? And the author tells us in verse 23 to 25, pretty much, exactly how we are to respond to this revelation, okay? First of all, he tells us to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promises is faithful. Again, nothing to do with you, but we can hold unswervingly because of him being faithful. Let us not go elsewhere, find something in something else, our joy in somewhere else. Let's not find an answer to our problem somewhere else because we can be Confident that he who has promised these things to us is faithful. Secondly, consider how we might spur one another towards love and good deeds. So there's a community aspect here. It's not just on your own here, but actually we're not just making ourselves feel better, but actually there's a something in it that we have to encourage the people around us, right? That actually we can, we can do this. Let's move towards the love of God in our deeds, right? In our words and in our deeds, okay? And this last one, which is an interesting one. In It's not giving up meeting together. And he says, as some are in the habit of doing, and you think, that's a bit of a dig. Like, do you know what I mean? There's a couple of people thinking, oh, I've been convicted now. And I think sometimes we can read that, particularly in our comfort in the West. And I'm not saying that everyone's got a great time right now. But what I'm saying is, we have a door open. 
and there's places where you can't have a door open. We have loud music, and there's a places where that would get you killed, right? And these people were in that situation where it wasn't just that they couldn't be bothered, the tea was cooking, or they wanted an early night. They were put off by the persecution they were experiencing, and that was causing them to doubt. And so he's, he's encouraging. It feels like a dig, but it's not a dig. It's not like, a, oh, you cheeky people, skiving. He's thinking, come on, don't give up meeting together. Right, why? Oh, I've said, I've stopped all this. It's not about not wanting to go to a cuddly service because <laughs> the game's on. Well, some of us are guilty of that, all right? But these people are gathering to risk their lives. So it's not a slap on the hand, it's an encouragement. And we're supposed to encourage one another in that same way. Don't give up coming together, doing community. Because when you're in the mud, the community around you will spur you on. You see how these things all flow together? Okay. Great. I've, I've gone deeper into them. What time are we on here? How long have I been going for? Do you know? Should I keep going? Let's keep going. <laughs> so I'm going to dig deeper into those three statements and bring something that we can probably note and, and put forward into ourselves. The first one where he talks about unswervingly of this hope that we can be confident on. Because the one who has promised faith, our confidence is not how good the band is or how convincing the wordplay is or how clever my tools are in convincing you that this is something you should be thought of. We're to be confident simply in the fact that Christ is faithful. It's not a feeling that we pursue. It's not a promise that's been given to us. Uh, sorry, it's not. It is a promise that's been given to us by the one who is faithful. And that should be enough to let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, right? Brilliant. And we need to encourage one another. We're called to be a people who love well. There's that verse in the Bible where it talks about they'll know who we are because of how we love each other. That is a big boy, that. That's hard as well, right? How easy is it to love everyone? That's hard. We're sometimes we fall incredibly short of this. I'm the same, particularly in a car or on a football pitch, right? When we're just, I'm just angry, right? I just can't be dealing with you cutting me up or sliding me with two feet, right? Don't be doing that to me, sir. I'll show you, right? That's not showing love well, is it, right? I'm not going to know. They're going to look at me and say, he's probably not a Christian. Look at how he's behaving, right? That's a big, a big thing, right? Our love is meant to be countercultural, And I don't mean like against the culture per se that we have to like speak out against anything we disagree with. What I'm talking about is it's against the view of love that society is pushing. This contractual, self-centered love that it's, when it's stopped benefiting me some way, then I just need to get rid of it. I need to cut it out of my life. Well, I'm not getting anything from this anymore. So see you later. That's not what we're called to do here. This is the love that is demonstrated by Christ. How many times did Christ give people a second chance? We hear in 1 Corinthians about that long list here at weddings. Love is patient, kind, doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That's a big challenge, right? That's the love we're called to. That's the countercultural element. It's not about disagreeing with some political scheme. It's about demonstrating something that is so profoundly bonkers to the rest of the world that in spite of you potentially hating me, it's I'm just going to love you anyway. That, is some, that speaks volumes. That demonstrates Christ to these people. And we need to do that, not just to the world. That's the challenge this, this, this author's trying to bring here, right? To each other. Sometimes we fall out, right? Difference in opinion, difference in theology, difference in what. We have to show that same love to the person sat next to us in church, to the person doing our schooling who just won't ever stop talking about this thing or keeps pecking our head or doesn't do the tea right. Do you know what I mean? Like those, We've got to show this self-sacrificial love Okay, and that's how Christ, exactly, yeah, there you go, amen. And this love is inclusive. 
right? There's no one who Christ doesn't love. Therefore, there's no one that we shouldn't love, right? That's the challenge there. The third point he makes about meeting together. I'm going to reiterate the fact this is especially true when it's not easy, when you don't feel good in worship, when you're tired, weary, when you feel let down in some way by God. These are the emotions that were causing the same people that the author was writing to um, to revert back to their old traditions. Oh, well, we were actually better off when we brought goats and sheep, right? This new thing isn't working. Look, we're getting persecuted. People are trying to kill us. It's tough. We don't like it. If we just go back to the old stuff, that'll be fine, won't it? They thought that would attain. They thought that that would give them the salvation. They'd be saved through the old things. The author's saying, that's not it. If you go back to those things, you're, you're potentially going to miss out, particularly in the last half of this like, chapter. He's like, come on, guys. In the same way, we should not give up being a community. We need to show up, be present. Because when you can't keep going, then let the community around you carry, carry you, encourage you, okay? So I had a little clip, right, that was kind of going to be the, f- the bridging point of this whole thing. Is it there? Have we done it? Did we succeed? What a dream. In this clip, right, it's very small. This it's about a race, right? Right here oh, by both of them. We can pull Another fall. So you can get the gist. You probably already know the score, right? You've seen all of these. They always make the news and whatnot. It's lovely to see, right? But often we can feel like actually we're the person falling over. But what I would like to challenge some of us to do is to feel like the person who's not the person falling over, okay? That's a challenge, I think. Because the the person a person who's running on the your right, the glory waits for them, okay? They've ran the same race, okay? They could easily think, look, we've had the same trouble. I've gone through what you've gone through. You think my legs aren't tired? I'm carrying on. That's on you, mate. Sorry. I'm getting the I'm getting the medal now. Unlucky, you should have eaten more toast, right? Something like that. Do you know what I mean? If you'd have only prepared well, this wouldn't have happened to you, right? Sometimes I do that. I'm like, well, it's not something we've all been through, so pick yourself up and take yourself around. Instead, what you'll see is something very different happens, and I think that's the challenge. And it's okay to feel like the person on the left, but that's sometimes easier. You think, well, yeah, my, I'm having it rough. Someone help me, please, right? But the person on the right, this is where, this is what the author of Hebrews is getting into the minds of the people that are reading it. That That's what... Christian community looks like. So let's just roll the clip, right? This is just class right here by both of them. Oh Another boy. fall. Oh we just all want her to just get there. She's given everything she possibly has to get to this finish line. She is literally, from where we sit, we can oh see she's less than 50 yards from the finish. Sold a phenomenal athlete and triathlete, great runner. She's uh, just willing but, herself there. Uh, and this is this is our winner, ladies and gentlemen. This is not normally what you expect to see at the finish of a marathon. But Chandler Self has run herself to complete exhaustion, and she is so brave. This is incredible, and she's running fast. Remember, she's 30 minutes ahead, or slower than what the time is because she started it earlier. She is still going to run the marathon in under two hours and 54 minutes. Tremendous, tremendous effort for Chandler Self today. Oh my goodness! So that too—that's a fantastic time. She's obviously, she's going to be fine. I, you know, we, we've seen this before. She'll be she's fine. Be absolutely <laughs> fine. So don't worry about that. We got to get her refueled and get it, get some, uh, get some and some, <laughs> some That's good, that. Isn't it? He's the guy you're not meant to be. All right, right. So, 
But you see, like, what was interesting about that whole clip, and that's what we're being called to do here, right? We've been given this amazing revelation, access by Christ. Look how brilliant Christ is. We've been, we can, we can meet together, we can do all this. But how do we, how do we persevere through the race? And it's not by, well it can be by eating carbs, right, and doing all your prep, and that's good, that's healthy. But actually, the way that we finish the race is by being the person on the left, right? That's good, isn't it? How do we do that? What's interesting for me in that clip as well, even at the end, she just she stumbled about six bazillion times. You're thinking, come on, just go, like, you can do it. Even at the end, she's not like, oh, I'll just sneak that ribbon. The lady who's falling through the ribbon breaks the ribbon, and the woman who's behind her, who's just helped her, is like cheering her on, even in the wheelchair. She'll be all right. Do you know what I mean? Like, we need to be aware that there are people in our community who are also going through stuff, and how can we be... Even in the midst of our pain, she was not having it easy. She just ran a blooming marathon too. But there's something about Christian community that loves in a way that is countercultural, right? That was baffling. That was a, that's, someone saved that clip because it's so countercultural. Our community should do the same. I'll wind up because I've said an awful lot. But if you take anything away from it, the thing that Hebrews is asking us to do is to be this community that loves in a way that Christ reflected in us. Everything Christ did for us, we should be prepared to do for other people um, so that we can all finish the race, right? And even the ones who are most weary, let's put them before us, right? Let's, let's, just, let's, let's, let's finish up there with a bit of a prayer, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you for how amazing your plan was in sending Christ. Thank you for everything that he did that put right everything that was wrong and faulty with the previous way. Give us access to you, un, un unrestricted, unlimited, undiscriminatory access to the very presence of you. Thank you that we inherit that. And thank you for Christ and what he did. Help us, too, to be people that love in a way that is countercultural, that demonstrate what, what the author of Hebrews is trying to get his community to get. We can persevere because of how amazing Christ is. Look at this thing. We can be faithful in the person of Christ, and we can spur each other on in the race so that when we get there, Regardless of who passes the line first, we can all celebrate knowing that we ran that race, defined by the love that we see in you. Help us, Lord, this week and throughout the rest of our, our lives to, to hold these truths close to our heart and live in a way that demonstrates you to other people and those next to us in the pews. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarrington.com.